Now that we are gathering together more and uh, starting to emerge out of the pandemic a little bit, we uh, have some opportunities and some needs for uh, some of you to help us out on Sunday mornings, uh, mainly with some small responsibilities like greeting, uh, either greeting in the atrium or greeting outside the door, uh, helping to prepare coffee and that sort of thing, maybe serving communion. Um, and so we need uh, you to be able to help us out. Uh, if you are interested in uh, just signing up for some of that, if you would take your Connect card today and on the, on the back side of the Connect card at the bottom, there is a little keyword. On there, would you just write either greet or um, coffee or serve or something like that, and we'll make sure that we get in touch with you. We tend to not want to uh, tap people more than once a month for that kind of a thing, uh, but we do need people to help serve in that way. So if you're willing to help us out, we'd love for you to, to be able to do that, and uh, that would help us to kind of keep our week in and week out Sunday morning operations rolling. All right, I want to invite you to think about uh, what your normal routine is when you get up in the morning. Think about particularly when you wake up in the morning, what is your relationship to light? Are you the kind of person that has to have the, the nightlight on and it takes you 10 minutes of sitting there in the bed to kind of get used to maybe it getting brighter. Maybe the sun's coming up and it's starting to get brighter in your room. Or are there anyone out there maybe who just wakes up and gets out of bed and flips on the lights? Anybody? Can I get a hand? We have a few. You folks are just, y'all are a rare breed because the rest of us, we have to warm up just a little bit. Some of us, it takes used to some time to get used to the light. How many of you take a little bit of time uh, in the morning to get used to the light? You have to either turn it on slowly and, and that kind of a thing. That's, that's where I'm at. Usually I have to kind of sit in the dark for a while, uh, drink some coffee, let things wake up inside of me. I don't just jump out of bed and, and then blowing and going. I do wish I was that person uh, from time to time. Well, today in John chapter 1, uh, the author here, uh, which is most likely the Apostle John, is talking about being a people who live in the light, who walk in the light, who become a people who get used to being in the light. And that's really a big part of what Easter is. It's learning to be a people of light. Easter is not just one Sunday. Easter is a whole season in the classic church calendar. If, if we have Lent for six weeks, then we have to have Easter for at least seven weeks. And that is how the Christian life is balanced. We're not just here to say, repent, 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 repent. Oh, by the way, Jesus rose from the dead. It is a balance of celebration uh, with our confession. And in the end, there's always a little more celebration than there is confession because in the end, God is the victorious winner. So we are in the middle of this uh, Easter season on this second Sunday of Easter, and we're diving into this letter uh, called 1 John. Uh, this letter was probably written to a group of churches. There's not a lot of specificity as to exactly uh, who wrote it who it was written to, but what we see in this letter is 
uh, a lot of familiar theology with the Gospel of John, as well as some overlap with the book of Revelation. So it's highly likely that John himself is the author of this. If you go in the New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels, and they tell about Jesus' life. Then there's the book of Acts, which tells the story of the Holy Spirit working through the church. After that, you have a lot of letters. Mainly, you have the letters of Paul. There's several letters that Paul wrote. And then after Paul's letters, you have letters by people like Peter and James and Jude and this letter from John. And these letters are usually written to churches to help that early church understand and live out their own faith. So John kicks it off in verse 1, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and touched with our hands. He is talking about Jesus here, the resurrected Christ. John is saying, look, I have seen the man. I have touched him. I have put my fingers in his, his hands and, and in his side. I have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. And John is one of the last people alive by the time this is written to have actually seen Christ. It's, it's a kind of this dying generation. And so what is the church going to be like? What's it going to be like to have a church that's never actually seen or touched the actual resurrected Christ? Well, it's really okay because God has sent His Holy Spirit to be with the church. So God is still with His people in every way that the church needs God to be with the church. But we have this transition taking place as those original followers of Christ, those original 12 and the other several hundred people that actually witnessed the resurrected Christ who appeared to all of those folks, they are all dying off. And we have this entire new generation of people who've never seen the resurrected Christ. And it makes us look back at those words of Jesus when he says, Blessed are you who have not seen and yet still believe. That's us. We are those people. Now, maybe the resurrected Christ has appeared to you, but I personally haven't seen him. And yet I still believe. That's who we are. We are those people of faith. And John is saying, look. This Jesus guy is God in the flesh. Salvation and eternal life manifested in the form of a real, live human being. A human being that was killed and was raised from the dead in bodily form. He continues on and he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Did anybody grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? A lot of us did. I grew up in a church and we had two big buildings. We had the worship building and then over here we had the fellowship hall. As a child growing up, my definition of fellowship was eating with old people. That's just kind of like that's how I understood the word fellowship. But yet we come here in John chapter 1 and we see, wait a minute, we have fellowship with the Father? Does that mean he's eating green bean casserole with God? What does that mean? Fellowship with the Father. And he also says, our fellowship with the Father is our fellowship with you. Our vertical fellowship and our horizontal fellowship, it's all kind of the same thing. This is the word koinonia. It's where we get the word community. 
in the Greek, the Greek word koinonia. It's this sharing. It's this social interaction. It's a personal connection. It's the substance and stuff of relationships. The stuff that binds us together, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what fellowship is. And the connection we have with God is the same word that gets used. Koinonia is the same word that we have with each other. We are sharing in the same kind of substance. So John's saying, look, I've touched Jesus. I've seen him. We've had fellowship together. But you know what? You and I have that same fellowship because we are the ongoing presence of Jesus Christ in the world. Koinonia. It's more than just eating with old people. Praise be to God. Even though that was always a great memory of mine. He continues on and kind of gets into the heart of what he's really, where he's really going with some of the substance of his message. He says, This is the message that we have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My uh, two youngest children, Hudson and Brennan, this last year for Christmas, received uh, a smart bulb. It's a, it's a light bulb that you can control through uh, one of your smart devices. And so we have an, uh, they have an Amazon uh, Echo Dot in their room. And uh, our, our third child, Hudson, he loves to name all his devices. So we named this particular light bulb Philip. Okay, that's, that's the name of the light. And uh, when we're laying there in bed at night, we like to turn Philip up or down to any particular degree. So we'll say, um, Alexa... Turn Philip to 26%, and the light in Hudson's closet will go to a brightness of 26%. And you can go all the way from 1% to 100%. It's pretty cool. I mean, you should try it. Go get your smart bulb and set it up. It takes only three hours to set up, but once you get it set up, it's really easy. Um, and it's real fun, you know. You can get it as bright or as dim as you want. And of course, when they go to bed uh, and they get up in the morning, they want that light at 1%. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That means if we were to say, Alexa, turn on God, the light would be so blinding that we wouldn't be able to take it, would it? But there's something about God's light that doesn't run at 20% or 1% or 10%. It runs at 100%. And what does light do? Light exposes. Light points out things that we may not have seen before. It seems like lately, I don't know if it's just the time of year or, or, or what, but it seems like lately I find myself driving into the sun a lot. These last, this last month or so. And I, 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 the other day I was driving my daughter to school. We're going east in the morning uh, to Coronado High School. And I was going down 34th Street, and the sun was just right in my face. I couldn't see anything. 
but I could see all the blemishes on my windshield, every single streak. And I thought, I got to go home and clean my windshield. So I did that. I went home and I took the extra five minutes and I sprayed Windex and cleaned it all. And then I thought, okay, we're clean now. The next week I get out and I, I get on the road and those places that I had wiped, I could still see the streaks. It's like I can't get the thing clean. The light exposes it. When I'm driving around in the middle of the day, I don't notice. I see right through it. But when I'm staring into the light, everything gets exposed. What does it mean to walk as a people in the light as He is in the light? Well, it means we acknowledge the stuff. We acknowledge the streaks. We acknowledge the blemishes. We acknowledge, yes, the sin. The sin that God lights up in our life. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We live in self-deception. John's getting right to the heart of the matter here at the end of the first century. He doesn't take long to say, you know, this whole thing is really about sin. You, You can't deal with the things of God. You can't deal with the things of life whether it's personal or whether it's corporate or global, without dealing with sin. Sin is the universal human problem. You could say it's the only problem in all of the world. It could be boiled down to sin. Now, sin has become more and more kind of this exclusive word that we use as a church. Why? Because sin really implies that there is a God. And we live in more and more of a godless world, it seems like, every, every few years. God just keeps getting pushed to the side. And so the language of sin is something that isn't acknowledged as much. And so just like John did in the first century, we, the church, have a very important um, theology that we have to remember and we can't forget. And that's this understanding that sin is real. And that sin has an effect on our lives. That sin is the deepest evil. And that God has come to do something about sin. You can't get around it. You can pretend if you want, but it's still going to be there. We live in a world that doesn't want to walk in the light. We live in a world that doesn't want to acknowledge sin. We live in a world that is what I call a self justifying world. John would say those who say they have no sin deceive themselves. Well, that's the world we live in, a self-deception kind of world. When, When I can choose what comes through here, when I can choose what I read, um, and I only select the things that reinforce what I already believe, and nothing comes to challenge me, then I begin the journey of self-deception. If I surround myself with friends who will never challenge me, then I am in danger of being self-deceived. This, gospel, this uh, letter of John is actually one of John Wesley's favorite letters in all the Bible. He quoted from it all the time. And I think partly why he quoted from it is because it was so practical as he set up groups of classes and bands whose real job was to look at each other in the eye and say, how is it with your soul? And those were those classes. But even smaller than that were, were bands of, of 
men or women, groups of three or four, who would look at each other and they would confess their sins to one another. And there was this long list of, of kind of examinations that they would make. Now, did they do that so, so that they could hate on themselves more? Did they do that to beat themselves up? No. They did it because they're walking in the light. Because they want to see. They want to be a people of light. They want to be as God is light. And as the true light has come into the world, they want to be those people who have fellowship with Him. The greater that we are aware of our own sin, the greater that we can walk with Him. I think one of the practices we have every week right here in church, when we celebrate Holy Communion, we break this bread and we say, this is Jesus' body broken for you. We hold up the cup and say, this is His blood shed for you. It's a necessary weekly reminder to all of us that we continue to have this need to confess. We continue to have this need to be made right with Him. Chapter 2, verse 1, he goes on, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's going somewhere with this. He's, he says, now, if you say you never have sin, then you're, you're just lying to yourself. But I'm writing to you so that you get this pl- to this place in your life where actively sinning is something you no longer do. There's something about what God does inside of you. It changes your actions, changes your thoughts, changes even the disposition of your heart. He goes on and he says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the, this is a hard word, propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That basically means he is the atoning sacrifice. Because of what God has done on the cross in Jesus Christ, we are made, are free in Him. We are free to be reconciled to God, to be made right in our relationship with Him. He is the atoning sacrifice. That is the foundation. That's one of the bedrock beliefs of our faith. If we really believe that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, if we really believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, then we will freely confess. See, the world that tries to live in self-deception is simply a world that doesn't fully get that. If you don't know that Christ has died to take away your sin, then you're going to hide from your sin. You're going to hide in your sin. You're going to live in darkness. But if you can boldly proclaim and understand that Jesus Christ has died for sin, then we can bring our sins out there before God and if necessary before others at the right times and the right places so this isn't just a mere generic confession it's not just saying God I am a sinner God when he shines his light of righteousness on us he calls us to see those sins specifically for what they are beyond Lord I'm a sinner we may have to say Lord I I have an angry heart And I hang on to anger in my life. And I'm hanging on to anger about this one particular situation. And I've been hanging on it for too long. Or Lord, I I struggle with lust. And I just can't get over it. And Lord, I just confess it before you. Or Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm full of gluttony. Or I'm full of pride. 
Lord, I, I have envied my neighbor. Lord, I've been materialistic. I've chased after the things of this world because I've just insecure about who I am. And so I just go and buy things and, and do things to make me look better on the outside. Those are the kinds of things that God's calling us to confess. Lord, I've been selfish. I've been thinking about myself more than I've been thinking about loving you or loving my neighbor. When God's light shines on us, when we embrace him and let him do that, he will bring that to the surface of our lives. He'll do that as we read the scriptures. He'll do that as we meet together in community with one another. He'll do that as we worship him. And when he exposes that and brings that up, there's no need to run from it. We just bring it to the cross and say, Lord, you died for this. You died to take this off of me. And that's what it means to walk in light. That's what it means to walk in freedom. I pray that you and I would be able to find our light and, and whatever that percentage is today, that God would just be able to turn it up. 